Do Podcast. I'm Lauren Tossi. And I'm Ryan Tossi. In America, we have laws. Laws against killing, laws against stealing, and it's just accepted that that is a member of American society, you will live by these laws. On the How Could You Podcast, there's another society which has its own laws. Podcasting is a way of life. <laughs> How much did you practice that Southern accent? Because <laughs> probably a little bit more than James Vanderbeek. <laughs> That's true. Very true. I think our holdup is just the state of Texas talking about the Southern accents that are in this movie. <laughs> That's not how we sound, guys. <laughs> That's why I think this movie is great today. I'm really excited because it's it's just a great recipe, right? You have bad accents plus bad acting plus bad teachers, bad dialogue. That somehow equals a fun and amazing film of 90s nostalgia. I just want to say Mrs. Davis is seemingly a good educator just with some interesting side hustles. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be a lot to talk about, Mrs. Davis. <laughs> How could you within itself? Right. <laughs> well, welcome, everyone. If this is your first time joining our podcast, thank you so much for checking us out. Uh, we are two people who fell in love at a movie theater and never quite left. Uh, we started this podcast to fill gaps in our film knowledge, but then just kind of more it into getting to talk about great movies, not so great movies, things we feel very nostalgic about, like anything that came out in 1999. <laughs> um, so we thank you so much for checking us out. We always like to start our episode, though, with uh, Tassi's Takes, which is generally speaking a recommendation we have for film, sometimes a shocking amount of TV that we recommend on right. this film podcast. <laughs> it's um, our way to, you know... Expand our audience. <laughs> Bridge the gaps, <laughs> yeah. if you will. Um, but we also want to expand this out to think about other things that maybe we could recommend. Um, so I'm going to go first. My Tossie's Takes this week is if you have not visited the Compact Disc Center in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, or if you're local to the Lehigh Valley area, um, this has been serving you amazing CDs and vinyls for a very, very long time. It's located on Easton Avenue. And we are so excited because the proprietor, Mary, who is a literal ray of sunshine um, has given us a little bit of space in there to bring you a lot of Tossie's takes with our very own DVD recommendations section. I mean, that our Tossie's take is just across the board right there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Got things on there like Hoosiers and 13 Ghosts and Teen Wolf. And Teen Wolf 2. T-O-O. <laughs> <laughs> and Selena. Um, so really fun stuff. It was so fun. First off, physical media is just such a joy to thumb through. Yes. And, you know, it's just, it's fun to be back in a space, like, doing that again. And, I mean, Compact Center is, like, such a staple of Bethlehem. And it's such a wonderful experience. And just go in there and browse and buy and support this amazing local business. And maybe pick up a Tassi's Takes along the yeah, way. Yeah, grab everything. Grab a vinyl. Grab a Tossie's Tag film and, and grab a, you know, a CD. Absolutely. And grab a great conversation with Mary, who is awesome and was super welcoming <laughs> yes. to us. Um, so what is your Tossie's Take for this week? Well, I, you know, was kind of staying in that musical realm here. Mine, I, I don't have a film this week. Mine is just a kind of a viral video. Maybe not really a viral video, but you probably all have seen it. But if you have not, check out... The Foo Fighters did a tribute show to Taylor Hawkins um, and at Wembley Stadium, sold out, so you know it was huge. And, you know, just a, a really emotional night, everything, but the moment that just everybody was talking about, and, and if you haven't seen the video, have to, is Taylor Hawkins' 16-year-old son, Oliver Hawkins, gets up and plays the drums for my hero Ugh. with the band. And, I mean, it is just amazing and awesome and inspiring and emotional. Just just absolutely 
breathtaking moment. And and I think that when you see the if you see the video, you see the shot of towards the end of the song, Dave Grohl turns and he's just playing the guitar, looking at him and they're playing together. And, and Oliver Hawkins just looked like he was in a zone. I mean, channeling his, his father. I'm not I don't know a lot about drumming, but I can tell you he sounded amazing and just Absolutely, you need to check that out if you haven't. Dude, I didn't expect to feel emotional at the start of this Varsity Blues episode, but like (laughs) chills. And we watched the video, and I think it turned to me, I was like, I hate you for showing that to me. And and in the best way as possible, because it's so emotional and so I, I just like it's such a celebration. And then at the same time, like, and it's interesting to talk about with our film today. It just, to me, changed how I will forever listen to that song. I don't think I will be able ever to take that song and divorce it from the image of his son just playing with mm-hmm. this incredible energy. It almost escapes words. Agreed. Completely. But we have to kind of segue. Um, and I think it's an easy segue because that song, My Hero, plays such a, like, feels like a such important part to this film we're yes. talking about today. So, like, I, I think, you know, My Hero, you know, a part of that great soundtrack that is this film but um you know we're we're here to talk about you know Varsity Blues which you know was a hit um so let's put that out there right away this was not expected to be a hit um by the studio um they they did not know if it would you know catch on but it did and it, you know it had a 15 million dollar budget and it brought in 54 or 52 million dollars so you know even though it's 54 in at the box office it did very well for itself you know Lauren <laughs> let me let me tell our audience what this film's about. Spin a yarn for us, <laughs> right? right? Let's, you know, if those of you who have never seen Varsity Blues, which, you know, I'm not sure why. and How could you? Right. <laughs> you know, let me let me give you this here. Varsity Blues, it's a dramedy about a Texas town where football is king. Football is a way of life, an escape, and a religion to a town that needs so much that the residents' sensibilities are lost in its passion. <laughs> Our story follows six seniors and one junior high high school student as they navigate what football has meant to their past, to their present, and what it will mean to their futures. They must question what the sport means to them and where and when they allow themselves to let that define them. The bonds of friendship, town, family, and team are showcased and challenged over a four-week period in the fall of 1999 as the West Canning Coyotes compete to win another district title for their successful yet domineering and unethical coach. Will they lose to their love of the game? Will they lose themselves to the town? Or will they find a way to rise up and be heroes? I mean, bravo! Thank you! And I have to say... Of all the things we've done, that may be one of the schmaltziest, most endearing things you've ever read for the podcast. I, I, I just, you know, I, I just, I need it to put into words my feelings on this film. You, you told me to give a little synopsis, and I went with it. They're a little bit more, you know, uh, sentimental than I expected. I know it's nostalgic, but this feels very sentimental so let's and th- kind. Let's start on So this movie, you know, it comes out. Um, let's talk about, I think the Rotten Tomato, um, scores put it where it's at. Okay. It gets a 75% on the audience score. Okay. Which makes sense, right? But the critic score is 43%. So, I think it's 
best to sum it up with what one critic said about it, okay? Okay, so there was one critic out there, one specific critic, in comparing this football film to the likes of another football film, Remember the Tidings, said, it's like going to a Michelin star restaurant and then stopping at Wendy's on the way home. So hearing this really harsh critique, it makes me ask the question, Lauren Tossi, how could you give Varsity Blues that harsh of a review? <laughs> I'm floored. Okay. Do you remember giving this on our uh, Super Bowl okay, episode? Okay, do you want to hear something that is going to be so egotistical? <laughs> I thought to myself, what a pithy and perfect way to describe Varsity Blues. And then it came, you had a twinkle in your eye, and I went... Oh, no, I think I may have said that pithy <laughs> thing about... Okay, first Is off, that the same twinkle I get in my eye when I realize how Ben Schwartz and <laughs> Bill Hader can fit into a film? Can't wait to see how you cast them in this. But here... Okay, let let me say this. I come Defend to the... Defend yourself. <laughs> I'm not defending myself. I'm going to justify myself. First off, I love a JBC, no hate to Wendy's. <laughs> Fair. And a Frosty, and if you need to be a weirdo and dip your fries in the Frosty, <laughs> do you, boo. No judgment. Mm. But this is what I'm going to say. I 100% acknowledge that this movie was not made for me. Like, <laughs> I, I know that entirely, and I also know that that means that all, my eyes now, some... 23 years after this film has been released might look at the content of the film differently. You don't see yourself in <laughs> Jules or Darcy? <laughs> Absolutely not. Jules is terrible. <laughs> and Darcy, I think, is actually more defendable than Jules. Jules is Jules is irritating at times. So what's your positioning? When did you first see this? Well, I mean, you talk about target audience. I'm as close to the target audience as possible. You know, I'm an athlete in high school, senior year, go to a high school that, you know, our football teams were okay. Um, nothing against them. Like, they had the success and stuff like that. But every Friday night, you were at the football game. Um, you know, I talked about this on the Super Bowl Shuffle episode a couple of years ago. My best friend, you know, who had just graduated the year before, or one of my best friends, he was the quarterback on the football team. Like, he was Jonathan Moxon, right? Like, he went to an Ivy League university. So, like, I had, you have a connection there. You had, the, like I said, the blue and white, you know. I went with all my friends on opening night, you know, to our, you know, local theater. Like, there was just no way we weren't going to connect to it right off the bat. I think what we're trying to say here is this film, has that 100% nostalgia to me. You are coming at it with a little more of a critical eye. Here's how we're going to do this. We talked about this as a how could you. We knew we wanted to record an episode about this because we thought we would have a lot of fun of it, it being so nostalgic for so many people. Football's and, back. Yeah, football's back, so go Bills. <laughs> um, so we decided that the best way to handle this would be for me to break this film down segment by segment and instead of one overarching how could you as like how could you not have seen this um, how could you yell I don't want to laugh um, <laughs> how could you bad accents we decided we that should I should have made an agreement just to do the accent the entire episode <laughs> listen after what I did to everyone's eardrums with Karen <laughs> That's true. No one would have listened to that episode. But uh, what we decided to do was to write a different how could you for every section of the movie. Because for so many reasons, this movie does not probably deserve a 
wow, what a great film discussion, <laughs> but there's definitely a lot to discuss in regards to this film. So that is how we're going to handle ourselves, which will start with our first section. Are you ready? I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. Let's let's get this game underway. And uh, Also, audience, Brian does not know any of the how could you, so I'm going to be throwing out there. Um, so we're going to open this up. So we have, um, you know, a, a some beautiful narration uh, likened to what you did in your description of the film. Um, so my first how could you is, Kind. It's a kind one. Oh, how could this movie have such great chemistry in the first few minutes for a movie that I just vaguely hinted at I was going to rip apart? Oh, are you setting me up for later? I, I feel promise like- <laughs> you I'm trying to just be kind. But I really do. This movie opens up and it is hard not to be charmed by it. Not because of just because of like what it does with that kind of, you know, that really like that faded, um, you know, old media kind of looking flashback where you get, you know, these football players and you get this like sense of like, this is like an entire culture. This is an entire society. You get the sense of like what this small town is like and what this means to them. And like, I want to make fun of it, but it's so enchanting right from the beginning which then leads to, oh, us meeting the cast of characters in this film, starting with Jonathan Moxon. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I, I really love, although it, it feels like the the old reels of them playing the football to lead into, you said t- charming and everything, it feels a little like, hmm, those reels feel a little more dated than what, the, the time period would have been. I mean, for those players, that would have been more of a VHS, and it kind of gives you the... Look, I am coming for your movie Eight later millimeter on. reel. Let us have this. Right. Let us say. And also, it's Texas. So. Also, I do have to say, I do appreciate, because we will talk about the town a lot during this episode. Yes. I also appreciate that um, Billy Bob's parents and the town were just like, sure, eight-year-old kid, you have the number 69. <laughs> weren't thinking with devious minds, Brian Tossi. Maybe that is just, although really honestly, would you let an eight-year-old kid have that number? That's, I feel like that's a different, maybe that should have been the how could you. But I do, I do like the opening narration. It gives, which, you know, you were kind of doing a nice homage to um, in the beginning. I do like the fact that in the opening sequence, there's just a preponderance of evidence that um, Jonathan Moxon is a smart football player because he is reading Vonnegut. He's got a Bruce Lee poster. He's got a Reservoir Dogs poster. I mean, he's essentially in some ways what would become the often copied decor of a college dorm room. But for, for at this moment, it feels like, oh, he's cultured. <laughs> Okay, so, yes, Jonathan Moxon, we need to know who he is. We need to understand he is going to be our, you know, quote-unquote hero, our, you know, our, our good guy. Like, And we need to know that, yes, he is above it all. <laughs> well, because he his dialogue is written in a way that I think definitely is meant to, like, highlight his intellect. He's witty, you know. He has the great line of, like, you know, about the crucified 11-year-old in my bedroom. <laughs> right. Like, you know, by the Honestly, I could write a whole paper just about the brother. The brother? Itself, oh my the God. brother's hilarious. <laughs> but, like, I, I think it's, it's great that we get these, like, little snippets because you get, you know, Billy Bob, like, out in the car, like, you know, yelling obscenities. And honestly, like, if you haven't had a friend yelling obscenities at you as they pick you up from your parents' house, <laughs> did you really have friends in high school? <laughs> you know, I feel like that's just such a marker. Yeah, so we, you got the Green Day song, Nice Guys Finish Last, yes. starting this out. And like you said, it's you you kind of get an introduced to these 
crazy group of characters right away, right? Yeah, Billy Bob is perfect. He's got his pig. You know, he's drinking the, <laughs> he's eating the pancake and then drinking the uh, the syrup straight out of the bottle. Which, like... Innovator. Like, really? <laughs> Have we been eating pancakes wrong? Because I always think to myself, I want pancakes, but they're such a time investment, you can't take them to go easily. Maybe we should just follow in the good advice of Billy Bob. <laughs> we get to find out about, you know, Billy Bob's calling his pig a dog. <laughs> There's a whole... His name's Bacon. <laughs> Right. Um, you know, we lead into uh, then I think we pick up. Oh, Wendell's already in the truck. That's right. Yeah. Wendell's so, in the truck. We pick up Lance, which. Do we pick up Lance before we pick up. Uh, before we pick up Tweeter? Uh, okay. Yes, because Lance Harbor gets the really like epic, like oh, yeah. almost like, you know, like John Ford, like <laughs> Western music, like <laughs> epic hero. It's shot from lower down. You've got that really ridiculous wooden sign the, on his family. billboard? <laughs> yeah. I love it. Love I quit it. football. I <laughs> just know parents. Like I don't think you remembered us talking about that West Canaan had its own set of rules. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Another society which has its own laws. You're yeah. sorry. But I do think, like, those introductions, like, I think there is a way to read needing to kind of get a sense of them as, like, kind of cheesy. But I don't know. There's something I am going to give all the credit to this opening sequence. Like, I love the chemistry between them. And I honestly sometimes miss that the rest of the movie because they're all so fun when they're together. Like, as well, we a group. get a nice scene with them later as all friends together. <laughs> We sure do, Toss. <laughs> we'll get there. Lots of how could you's for that section. I will say right off the bat, too, I love, I like the dynamic that this is a film that does not choose to pit um, Mox and Lance against each other. I mean, they are legitimate friends. Like, they care about each other, other than you could argue a little bit about the barbecue when we get to that. But, um, no, I, I, I like that. And I like this, you know, the music change for, for Lance coming out. Well, and then you get, like, another, like, kind of beat change when you get Tweeter in this, which just... <laughs> Tweeter, which is the the hold-up in person form. <laughs> okay. But here's the thing. I'm going to say, is Tweeter kind of the sage of the movie? Yeah. Like, in so many ways, he's quite he's wisdomous. Very... Like, <laughs> I have to ask you a question right off the bat. Okay. And I'm legitimately, I'm yes. not sure. Is he Tweeter or Tweeter? Because in the credits, he's Tweeter. But on his jersey, he says Tweeter. Okay, so I think you're doing a D and a T thing. Yes. Which, talking about Tweeter, feels like a weird <laughs> phrasing, if I'm being completely honest with myself, upon further review. Family-friendly podcast. It's Tweeter oh. with a D. <laughs> Stop. Yes, it is. <laughs> and he'll speaking let you know the, that. <laughs> speaking of that tree she fell out of. <laughs> Let's tweet. just move forward. We're going to go with Tweeter, right? But um, Tweeter with a D. Tweeter with a D. Um... <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. I have Good. to just tell you. <laughs> that's, that's the entire plan of this entire podcast. Um, yeah, I, I just thought it was weird because in the credits, it's it's with a T. So I don't understand why they, I mean, it's the most ridiculous, you know, kind of screw up since, you know, Scott Bakula in Quantum Leap when they misspelled, you know, the character's name to finish the entire show. <laughs> We can talk about that, too. Right? <laughs> can I tell you, you hold on to Quantum Leap in a way that I don't think our audience understands. Well, it comes up more often than it should. Coming but back. <laughs> going back to Varsity Blues, I, I, 
Listen, I don't know if I can fault the MTV film productions. I mean, how much <laughs> stock are we putting into the actor sales? And I do like, you know, you go from this, you get the intros, you get to see them kind of in the high school element and how they've been like elevated as gods. And like, I'd love to mark this as hyper reality, but I think small town football, particularly in Texas, I think this is not hyper real. I think it's pretty authentic. Yeah. I think um, and I'm going to be honest, if Paul Walker went to my high school, I think I'd have similar reactions during the pep rally that many of the students <laughs> do. So it feels... Well, Let's deal with Lance's story about his dream. It makes no sense. What do you mean it makes no sense? It makes perfect sense. He talks about being there, and then he gets up, and he's like, and then I felt sad. Aww. But then I realized we're going to beat them by way more. I, it was, it makes no sense. Okay. You just, you look at that beautiful man <laughs> in that perfect blonde hair. I often, you know, it, listen, just, it's fine. Paul Walker can say whatever Paul Walker wants to say. And it doesn't matter because he has them so wrapped around his finger. And I think the thing I love about Lance is there's not this sense of like that he's like odious. Like he is oh, supposed yeah. to be justifiably loved because he is so talented and he seems personable. And there is like a kind of an aw shucks thing about him. He doesn't seem terribly arrogant in any of the scenes that we see him, even as I know you've been kind of alluding to the barbecue, but I think that's kind of why it does that speech does not need to make sense no i i'm with you i just uh this is where we get introduced to you know our villain of the story the the great bud kilmer who never smiles <laughs> no not once i mean are we gonna just say right off the bat that john voight was just he turned this thing up to I don't even, 11, 12, I, I mean, think, there's not even... There's not a scale for what he was doing with this. I just want to know what they asked him to do, and then he just went, got it, worst person imaginable. Yeah, complete another psychopath, yeah, I can do that, I can definitely do that. So, which, Bud Kilmer, coach for 30 years, he's 22 district titles, count them, 22 two. district titles, two state championships. So, quick question, Yeah, 30 years coaching... Only two state championships? Does he deserve a statue? Um, absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> uh, but the, who else are they going to do it to? Right. Like, you know, is, is the thing. But in reality, like, no, when you when you go by averages, I mean, he doesn't have a great state championship average. But the, the district title, I guess, is something. Yeah, trying to get the 23rd. Um, but, I mean, they just, I mean, right off the bat, we know Kilmer is just the worst. I mean, they essentially set him up to have kind of a Hitler-esque, you know, presence at that podium at the <gasps> At the top. Well, and it's because everything he's saying, which is supposed to be celebratory, sounds like a threat. Like, you know, tonight we play Bingville. Tonight (laughs) we beat Bingville. Like, it feels, it feels like, you know, we have to, or like one of these kids is getting murdered. Right. And I'm not going to tell you which one. You know, like, it's a, it's a weird presence that he has. And I think it's something that the film pays, like, really close attention to of making sure you understand, like, the hold he has over this town, um, not in a loving way. I don't think people love him. I think they're terrified of him not being the coach because if this town doesn't have football and particularly a winning team, like what does this town really have? You get the sense of that immediately just from how like hype the pep rally is. Like yeah. pep rallies can be exciting. That's a 9 a.m. pep rally too, by the way. I mean, that thing was... <laughs> Listen, if I could get even a quarter of my students to show that level of energy at like 9 a.m., teacher included in this too. Like, but I think there's you get the real sense of kind of the the myth building that has happened around his like coaching and 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 essentially like the fear he's kind of driven into everyone. And I think it's also like where you get the sense of like why 
like the case of like kind of Billy Bob goes on as long as it does. I mean, like you really kind of get this right away, like with him, any type of injury that he has, any type of defect that like happens to Billy Bob, like, well, don't question it because like the game comes before all else. But like, look at that pep rally. Like, of course it does in this town. Oh, yeah. In that way. And then we do get our first game um, where we get to see, you know, Mox on the sideline bringing Slaughterhouse-Five, which (laughs) is a vibe. I mean, that's that's a power play by Mox. I'm going to say it. (laughs) I mean, does he need to be reading (laughs) Slaughterhouse-Five at that moment? No, he doesn't. But that's what makes it great is he doesn't need to be. But it's like but I think it's like this thing of like he's half in half out. And I think it's like, you know, there's this association of like this is my group of friends. This is kind of the identity of the town. But I think like the the one character flaw of Mox is I would say you you know that he does think he's above all of this, that he is he's smarter. This is he doesn't need Lance's spotlight because he feels like his spotlight is his intellect. But he's still like participating in football. And I and I think you get a lot of that of like that's the dad's yeah. pressure or the sense of like this is kind of the only means of advancement. Almost like would he have gotten into Brown if he didn't have this? Even though I don't think he's supposed to play football, Brown, but he almost like needs this. No, as the edge. I don't think he ever had a plan to play football. And I and, and at the end, you know, spoilers, but um, he says he's not good. You know, he never plays another down. So yeah, there was no real play. You know, plan to play in the Ivy League as the you know yeah. <laughs> the interview asked him later. Um, we also so this yeah we we get to then you know ready getting ready for the game. We mm-hmm. get to see tweeters. End zone dance, which is Tweeter's new end zone dance, which was essentially taken from the Icky Shuffle. Yes. <laughs> which I'm like, it's not your dance, man. Like, Tweeter, you, I don't want, I mean, listen, there's too many things to complain about with Tweeter. I'll let that one slide. But you do get the sense of like, and you know, unfortunately in this, you get the sense of like kind of the culture that Kilmer's created. There's like a real intensity in this locker room. Unfortunately, this is where we do get, you know, a thing that, on you know, males in '90s films had locked and loaded, which was some you know, poor language on and a slur given out by Billy mm, Bob. Yes, um, you know, I know we are jokingly saying the holdup is Tweeter throughout this. That's kind of the one time that happens, like within the film, and it's weird because there isn't like that type of charge language throughout the rest of the film. No. It's like this one weird moment. I'm always confused as to why it's there. Um, But you get, like, this sense of, like, this intensing, this, like, real, like, male, like, egotism and, like, hyper-masculinity pumping each other up. And then we get to see the game. And, I mean, those stands are, like, packed to the gills. Like, Well, we also get... We get the injection. Oh, yeah, that's uh, that we right. Need to know. Yeah. So Lance, Ar- or Lan- yeah, Lance Armstrong, uh, Lance, for dance, <laughs> yeah. uh, Lance, uh, right, um, Lance Harbor. You know who's supposed to? We essentially are to take. He's got a full ride to Florida State, second All State. I mean, he's supposed to be the quarterback. I mean, even Jonathan has says it to his little brother earlier. Like, don't even say. You know, oh yeah, about him getting hurt, so Jonathan can get in. Um, but we see the the injection into the knee. You know, so that's gonna you know obviously play out much later. But well, and I also like, and I'll give the, the credit here to the film of like they are approaching some things. They are talking about like over medication. They're talking about how we ignored concussions at this particular time. I think about like the discussion around concussion and concussion protocol now is so different. Like, so unless I. Because I do not want to give this movie any more credit than it deserves for exactly what it is. But I mean, Here's it my does question. do some things that are kind of interesting. It brings up a, real, a question. Is this movie trying to say something? Or are they just stumbling into saying something? You know, uh, do you get what I'm asking? No, I do. Yeah. And I think my 
short answer to this is I think it's more stumbling into it. I don't think that there wasn't intention, but I think they went, look, this thing is going to be a lot more successful if it highlights things like tweeter and and the silliness of Billy Bob and and whipped cream bikinis. This is going to make this film a lot more iconic and a lot more marketable to the audience that's exactly trying to target versus this is a serious drama about drugs and athletes <laughs> in high school. Like, I don't think that would have played as well. So I think it took its opportunities to do it where it could. But it's always like subtle and slight and it's kind of moving on, even though like that injection, one could argue is the impetus to why like Lance Harbour is never going to play again because they were just letting that scar tissue build up yeah. like and he was never really healing. Oh, yeah. So I think I don't know. It's yeah, this Bud Gilmer's just using these kids like yeah. they don't mean anything to him. They're just literally numbers. They're not even names. It's just them to even every time Kilmer talks, which I picked it up on this time, he's talking about everything as his bring me home my championship my you know all of those types of, of verbiage so yeah they're just spitting these kids out well and to you know to again the the wisdom of tweeter to say like you know he has in this line here kilmer what a blank yeah. blank hole um you know you have this line of like tweeters kind of acknowledging like the reality is like none of them love him like no. they're not going to battle yeah. for him it's they feel forced. They feel like enlisted into this. Like this is not it's not driven by choice. It's driven by what else are we going to do? Yeah. And again, kind of going back to the question, I I don't know if that was the intention, but I like where we get to with this film is it's trying to say, you know, sports are great when we look at them for what they are games for fun, right? Like it's when it becomes a different level of seriousness when we take it beyond that. You know, it starts to lose, you know, we, we start to lose sight of, of what we're actually doing. And I, I do like, you know, that idea. It's just, you know, this movie, you know, kind of doesn't hit it. with <laughs> Is it real, you know, finesse in getting there? But I do think like to your point and, and listen, so we get this like there's a like a party sequence. We get to see kind of the fun of you know, what this life is, like the kind of the opportunities they're afforded, which is they're kind of like free reign, like yeah. no one's really kind of watching them. But like to the point you just said, like this movie is almost like this is this is the consequences of when like a generation pins all its hopes and dreams on the next generation loving the same thing as much as they did and taking sports as seriously and it being like this real culture. Because, I mean, the next sequence that you get is the the practice and then which leads into the barbecue. I have to just ask before Billy Bob's concussion. Yeah. Can we make an argument that Mox is partially to blame for what is all to transpire? Billy Bob goes down with a concussion. Mox, for some reason, is the one that they allow to come over and tell that he's okay after Billy Bob can't decide whether he sees enough fingers up or not. So I think in, in this way is the thesis we're creating that Mox is actually the villain of this movie and not Bud Kilmer. There might be an argument. There might, might be, be an, an argument. argument. <laughs> there might be something here. Because, I mean, there's some not great stuff with Mox, too. Tweeter's giving, uh, you know, Harbor the, the you know, the painkillers. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess he's trying to tend to his friend, but, yeah, he definitely puts Billy Bob back in danger. But this takes us to our next How Could You, which will lead into this the the practice and these boys are having the time of their lives <laughs> and then this really strange and really tense barbecue so my how could you is how could you go for the automatic or the over dramatic close-ups and slow-mos 
That sequence for the barbecue is one of the cringiest, <laughs> most contrived few minutes of film in the 90s. It's really bad. It is by far the worst. You can do it, son! <laughs> I mean, dude, what am I supposed to do with that sequence? It's, it's bad. I mean, we find out that all the parents in this are the worst people in the world. Truly and honestly. Um, Jonathan, you know, Moxon's parents, who one's an alcoholic and one who is cares nothing about his son other than what it makes him look like in the football community and how he can, you know. <laughs> well, and how he can advance himself. And, like, and I think also you see that, too, with, like, the younger brother of, like, he keeps trying to push him towards, like, football. And, like, the mom is saying he's very spiritual. Like, <laughs> you know, because you have this, like, you know, little kid who's, you know, essentially, like, appropriating, like, different, like, religious culture because, like, he doesn't have a sense of identity because, like, the only identity that's provided to him is this idea of football, but it's one that he doesn't want. And, like, he's almost, in some ways, uh, one of the more interesting characters in the movie because he's, like, not giving in to it. He's not going to play football. But you get this, like, from this, you get the the practice, which the dads are watching, which is so weird. Right. Yeah, the the parents out of practice to me, I mean, at any level is always strange to me. And, you know, these dads who are like really into it, you know, this is where we get the dummios, you know, when Kilmer line. Yes. Dummio QB, bring out your dummio, you know, offense. But, you know, Moxon's dad makes the big, you know, grandstand of, well, I stood up to it, so will he. Yeah, and you're just like this, you can tell his dad has like such a like a really self-important, like, no. Like, Kilmer kind of respected to me. And you're like, no, 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 he didn't. No. He, Do you he notice the hats that they're wearing where they're just <laughs> Bud Kilmer is, like, huge? And then underneath it, it's Coyote. He's really small. Yeah, and it's, like, got an apostrophe. It's, like, yeah. it's, it, it's possessive of, like, Bud Kilmer's Coyotes. It's it's such a weird culture. And listen, and I understand, like, this is so divorced from anything I experienced. So, like, there's an element of this I probably can't understand. But it just reads so ridiculous. And just, like, the, the banter back and forth. Like, shit. These boys are having the time of their lives. And it's like, they look so miserable. You've got painkiller addicts. You've got a kid who's concussed, a kid whose knee is about to get blown out. You know, Mox, who's like, you know, kind of signaling the early 2000s emo phase to come. Like, this is like truly and honestly, no one is really behind the wheel. Let's not forget this is a comedy. Uh Oh, yeah, there's that too. (laughs) I got to, speaking of comedy, so I have to ask the question. Who's got the worst accent in this movie? Is it Moxon? Is it Jules? Or is it Lance's dad? Because Lance, stop it, Dad! <laughs> sorry, I'm done. I blew out your ears. I'm sorry. Lance's dad sounds like a Muppet in this. <laughs> Lance's dad looks like a Muppet in this. He looks like Sam Eagle got moved to Texas. Yeah, I agree. I go back to that whole the celebration scene. of all sports, but mostly football, <laughs> where they do the uh, the William Tell. You all remember William uh, Tell? <laughs> like, but I'm gonna say, I actually think in some ways. That dad, to me, rings as something even more real than Mox's dad. Mm. Like, Mox's dad, to me, looks like the, like, insurance salesman who wouldn't have been this rough on his kid about this. This feels (laughs) like... But I feel like Lance's dad, I'm like, I I think I've known that guy. Like, and and I'm not... I didn't live in Texas terribly long, but I'm like, I know that guy, that vibe, that intensity... And really thinking that, like, this is what's best because his kid is a superstar. So he's, like, benefiting off of, like, how talented his kid is. We do have to shout out uh, Jesse Plemons with the uh, the cameo in this as the younger brother to uh, Lance Harbor telling, calling Jonathan Moxon a chicken. 
Well, and you know what? Even in two seconds of film, Jesse Plemons already a revelation. I agree. <laughs> a phenomenal actor in this movie, not as well populated with phenomenal <laughs> actors. But my 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 the umbrage I take with this section is the slow mos. <laughs> <laughs> and the hyper close-ups. They're really great at me. So what's our decision? Does Moxing, is he intentionally hit the dad, or is it just an anger throw that hits the dad? Wouldn't you? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, and I think also you get the hints at, like, and I, this is something that the movie really, I think, uh, is very pleased with itself for, is, like, Mox is, like, super smart, but also secretly Mox is really talented and could have always secretly been the one who was, like, <laughs> actually, it's just Lance was just a little bit more talented and a little bit more interested. There's, uh, there's, there's millions of backup quarterbacks in the world that have thought of themselves as Jonathan Moxon over the years. <laughs> I believe it entirely. Um, but this, you know, this takes us back to the school. You know, a lot of this, although there's like gaps in this, are kind of like set up in days um, that you get kind of like snapshots of these storylines and how they're developing, kind of like obviously leading to our big game finale, of course. Um, but we get this section that brings us back into the school, um, you know, with a health class, um, with... Billy Bob damn near dying um, in a classroom, which will lead up to Lance Harbor's injury. But I'm going to say my how could you for this is how could anyone actually believe that a nurse would ever let a coach take over their med room? Have you <laughs> met a nurse? They give no foxes about the fact that you're a coach. I do not buy that part of this for a second. I believe that the coaching staff and the parents, but I don't buy that that nurse really wanted to be dismissed from there. And he just shoes her away. I hate Bud Kilmer. I thought the How Could You was going to have something with Pedro in it. I just was. (laughs) (laughs) No, because I entirely believe that a male in 1999 would have that many words for an erection and would spit them at a teacher. No suspension of belief for that. Okay, but all right, so maybe my how could you, like, all right, how could you, Mrs. Davis, act like you're shocked? You were like, guys, let's do it. Penis, 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 vagina, (laughs) vagina, vagina. What the hell were you expecting? Look, I am not saying that I am like the wisest of teachers or the best of teachers, even remotely. Far from it, in fact. But I would know that that is going to end not in some enlightened emotional understanding of how we talk about anatomy, but rather with a kid yelling things about you about yogurt slingers. Like, that's how that's actually going to end. Well, I mean, she practically let Billy Bob die in her classroom. So. She doesn't move. No. Like, and I get it. You got to protect the body because of later. But, like, she's like, oh, this kid just died on my floor. Right. I mean, and it's literally, it's Mox who's calling for the nurse. Right. Yeah, he has to tell her to call the nurse. Like, hey, by the way, lady. But it's also even, like, when she seems so annoyed by Billy Bob. Like, all throughout. Like, he's raising yes, his Billy hand. Bob. But she, like, he's been doing that for a while. Yeah. And, like, and she's so negligent of him. And then you get, oh my gosh, you get the most 90s character of all. Elliot... With that ribbed sweater. He's the kid who ends up being in Not Another Teen Movie. And he's only in this scene. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's, like, asking him for slang terms for the... And he's the one who says boner. (laughs) But he's got, like... He's got, like, a choker and, like, a ribbed sweater. And that weird... It's not a bowl cut. It's just flat-to-your-head kind of haircut. Like... So 90s. I just am shocked you knew the character's name. (laughs) I entirely had to Google it because I thought to myself, man, Elliot's hitting that 90s. 
But it's this. I did though, like Miss Davis though, because I believe she, she. No, I'm sorry. It's Bud Kilmer that calls him William Robert, right? Yeah. Now that's when we, this is where we find. You know, our, we hear his only time we hear his name called is William Robert. Yeah, and you get like this another sense of his villainy again. The the most unbelievable part of this, the thing I cannot I cannot abide by, is the fact that that nurse would so readily leave. But fine, <laughs> she leaves, and then Bud Kilmer we get to see more of that villainy because he doesn't care about Billy Bob and he or William Robert. He just needs him to play. Which then leads us to the game where Lance gets injured and and you immediately kind of know that this is this is the circumstance of not being cared for is what leads to Lance's injury. Yeah, uh, which is ridiculous. I also am going to blame the referees in this uh, game because Billy Bob obviously false starts. He's falling over before the play begins. <laughs> Why the play was allowed to happen and poor Lance gets his knee blown out is beyond me. Well, it's because everyone in this town's terrible. <laughs> because what does the dad say? Don't do this to me. Oh, right. Yeah. I want to yeah. punch the dad yeah. when he says, I'm like, this isn't being done yeah, to none you. None of the adults come out great in this movie at all. I, I mean, I don't think there's one that there's a positive thing to say about them. Well, no, because they all like occupy like the space of kind of like how they use these kids. Like, and, and that's like what makes them like so like disgusting in my mind. And it's just like, it's the fact that you realize like for the dad, like, again, it's all those like like hopes that he's like pinned on him and this like sense of if he's not successful, this is kind of it. And you also have that with Darcy too, which is strange that she, uh, listen, someone's going to have to explain to me the logic here of why Darcy believes if he goes to school, then she goes to school. Can you explain this to me? Why she thinks this? I, I don't, you know, I don't know what, you know, the school, maybe they allow it. I don't, maybe that was part of the deal. <laughs> <laughs> no, just... I mean, well, Lan in fair, though, Lance does... Or, I'm sorry, Moxon makes the, the comment of, you know, she pulls A's, which obviously we get the, the snarky comment from Jules back, but you're supposed to think that she's... Uh, pretty smart so she's supposed I, I would guess that she could have got into florida state with him but i but see here's the thing i don't understand why it's that they have to travel together because like if you see her house later on like jewel or not jules i'm sorry darcy seems like like her family's of means like it doesn't seem like she's she's not living in like some one-room shack like it's a nice house she dresses well like th she pulls a's you know you have to spend a lot of money to look that cheap, cheap <laughs> quote, Jules, which is another reason why Jules is the worst. Jules is like girl on girl crime in like the worst kind of way. She like totally subjugates like Darcy to being one thing. And I understand Darcy kind of is. But at the same time, you know, she makes a lot of assumptions about I Darcy. I hear a lot of comments about Boof and Teen Wolf being one of the worst female girlfriends in like a sports movie. Um, I don't see it in Teen Wolf. I love the character of Boof. Jules, though, is one I can't argue. I like Amy Smart as an actress, but this character is just awful. Like, I don't even understand why Mox <laughs> wants to be with her at times. Well, because they kind of don't seem to like each other that much. And I think it's like this weird and she doesn't really seem that connected to like her brother because she should be kind of upset that her brother is like got this like terrible injury. I mean, just be worried for your brother in general. And she seems kind of like. <laughs> Whatever. I mean, it's I football. sometimes forget that they're brother and sister because the movie doesn't really highlight it that much. There's no like sense of sense of I'm that family. To think. I mean, is there a scene of Lance and Jules ever together? I don't think so. Yeah. Not that not that I can remember. But, but I agree with you. I think there's a little justice for. I mean, other than you know, <laughs> she leaves she leaves Lance real quick. 
<laughs> oh, because there's no loyalty in this town is no. what I learned. But she does feel trapped. I mean, I there is an argument to be made of your question of why does she feel so trapped? And, you know, shouldn't she be able to find her way out on her own? But for whatever reason, she does not seem, you know, she feels, and I don't know if there's something supposed to be about the town where it's just like, you know, none of the females are females of agency in this movie at all. No, it's the truth. And I mean, like, yeah, there's the element here of like, and we talked about this at the beginning, this is like a hyper masculine film. Like this, this centers around a football team. But it is interesting to see there. It's not like populated by a ton of females. Like essentially, I think the character that has the most agency would be like Mrs. Davis. But they do position Darcy as someone like who seems like pretty determined, but also seems to think like that she can't use that determination to get like herself out of this I don't town. think we should be shocked though, right? This is written by W. Peter Liff, which we've talked about once before. He wrote point break, right? Like, um, it kind of fits to, it's a very male centric film. Um, you know, and then also, you know, we talk about, we can talk right now quickly about the, the director of this film, Brian Robbins. Um, Brian Robbins, a really interesting individual. So he directs this, he had directed, he directed Good Burger, Ready to Rumble, Hardball, The Perfect Score, um, Shaggy Dog, uh, Norbit. <laughs> he did the TV show Blue Mountain State, which you can see where yes. that came from. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he did a couple other things with um, Eddie Murphy. But here's what's more interesting about him: he actually was head of Nickelodeon for a while. Okay. Um, and then he is now the president and CEO of Paramount Pictures. Is he really? <laughs> he is. So. I had talked about this during the Super Bowl Shuffle episode. He actually was the character of Eric on the show Head of the Class, which I don't know how many people out there remember that, but I had loved that show. It was a funny character, but the fact that he went from there to directing Varsity Blues to now he's running literally Paramount Pictures is quite a a leap. You know what? Get you on the glow up. That's like great. Like good for him. (laughs) Good for him finding his way. Yeah. I mean, I I literally was like, that can't be right. (laughs) Go research a little bit more. Let this guy behind the mountain. Um, Yeah, it's, you know, I I think the listing those films and you think about like the Nickelodeon aspect, I actually find funny you saying that because there is such a sense of like, I don't know, this movie, although at times hyper real and kind of ridiculous, like there is like a good connection to like what it feels like to be in high school. Like, I think there is, I think there's something genuine in that. And that maybe is an influence of like having worked for children's programming for so long, like knowing how, where to infuse that. Right. And Ron Lester, who plays Billy Bob, that's actually where he directed him in Good Burger. And that's where he pulled him from that. Well, and I think this is a nice transition because speaking of the follies of youth, (laughs) um, you know, we get, so Lance, Lance is in the hospital, which brings us into our next section. We see ourselves. Um, at this post-game party. We've seen one of these before, but this one should feel different. I mean, Lance is in the hospital, but no, 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 it doesn't. So I'm going to ask this section of the movie of, how could you make a character like Tweeter so damn likable? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, Somehow charming and funny and awful all in the same, you know. I'm going to go to jail. (laughs) But this is, so this is where I would say, like, the tweeter character. We also can't give half of his lines on this show. No, because I literally was writing them down. I'm like, oh, yep, can't say that. Can't say that. That would feel awkward and uncomfortable. But that's the thing about, like, tweeter. Like, even he has this, like, sequence of him. He, you know, he's driving in a cop car naked with, like, a group of other, like, so a group of girls from the school. 
naked in the back of a cop car. He he steals a cop car. Like, let's just start there, actually. He steals a cop car. And with so much, like, unadulterated joy, I almost can't be mad at the action. <laughs> I'm not saying I would, but I respect the idea. Right, you got you got the juxtaposition. But, well, we got the Mount Me heads, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. <laughs> rings. Um, we got Mox, you know, invent an emo during this scene of just walking the town with collective soul <laughs> playing over, you know, as he travels, you know, but doing like you know the nice thing. He puts his jacket around the girl and. Then he goes to visit Jules. Okay, but, like, is that a nice thing? Aren't you going over with the jacket to take a look? No, like, oh, no. Oh, come I on. think Mox is, mm-hmm. is yeah, no. <laughs> I'm going to point you to a, a scene later in the convenience store. <laughs> Just before you start defending Mox, but what? What? Uh, the reason I get so angry at this sequence is because I want to really hate it and think it's kind of vile, but it's also hilarious, and it also. You know, it gives me so many questions. Like, did he pick these girls up individually? Like, were they at the party? Did he circle back? Because that feels dangerous. The cops are there and armed. Um, like, did he go to another party and he's like, hey, I got a cop car? At what point he was he like, look, it's no longer enough of a thrill just to have stolen a cop car and to be driving it around the town. I now must be naked. You all must be naked. I just had so many questions. <laughs> questions, you know, we, we may never get the answers to. <laughs> no, and I don't want the answers to. I love the mystery of it. But I think this is like why I wanted to highlight this in this section is because like the character of Tweeter for a thousand things that he says and that are super objectionable, which really, really comes down to one line later on. But like he should be really hard to watch and with modern eyes he should be like actually almost impossible to take but like credit to Scott Kahn's performance that like I don't know he's the funniest character in the movie most of the time like and and granted I know everything he does is kind of play for laughs but he's like so like hyper aware of his sexuality and so ridiculous but then we'll have these like lines where you're like does he kind of get it more than anyone else in this town? It's like a really weird. It, it spins well, my head. I, think, I tell you, you know, for better or worse, Twitter might be the most authentic of all of these people. He's just being himself. Like he just feels, and he just goes with it. You know, whether it's you know trying to you know be a best friend or whether it's you know hitting some old former player in (laughs) his nether region with a wiffle ball bat. I really appreciate you saying nether region. (laughs) But I agree like there is something like he seems to be enjoying it like and I think when the dads say like these boys are having the time of their lives like I think Tweeter actually is but not with the burden of I think Tweeter's going to be like trying to relive it. I think Tweeter this is just Tweeter and I think that party is going to follow him wherever he goes. I was going to say Tweeter though might be the MVP of the team. Uh, yeah. I mean, guy makes big catch after big catch. Yes. I, you know, he's the one that gets the block punt at the end of the game when we get there. Like, Tweeter, man, he's – why he doesn't go on to play more, I I don't know. I mean, probably scandal, but <laughs> – <laughs> Probably one college admissions counselor starts digging a little too deep and goes, wait a second, what are we letting in? Who am I kidding? They wouldn't have cared back then. Um, but this, you know, you have college scandal. Uh, speaking of which, uh, can we talk about uh, yes, the fact course, that the yeah. uh, Operation Varsity Blues of the, you know, the scandal for the admissions was named after this film? Which is really incredible because like. 
there's this great tweet, and I'm going to totally butcher this. Do you know it by heart? Mm-hmm. The James Vanderbeek tweet where he dunks on this movie, <laughs> where he says, thank you for passing it over. So he, so it, when the Varsity Blues, uh, Operation Varsity Blues scandal kind of dropped, and you had this, you know, particularly. And Fli- Becky, Becky. Felicity Hoffman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, James Vanderbeek tweeted out, if only there was a succinct turn of phrase these kids could have used to inform their parents they were not desirous of their life path. <laughs> and I'm like, why is James Vanderbeek? be such a legend the beak <laughs> should be also I, I, I shout out very quickly to if you've not watched him in the tv show don't trust the bee in apartment 23 he plays himself and it's incredible. like a hyper version of yeah no, awesome no, i just want to say, think that's him please don't <laughs> ruin this so for me good. he's really great in this but you know you have that great scene of like he's kind of walking the town this thing kind of i, I think this moment feels akin it reminds me a lot of richard dreyfus in american graffiti oh when he's like by yeah. himself and it's kind of like i think and that's our one per podcast of bringing up american <laughs> graffiti so i appreciate that too we're always loud one <laughs> um but I, I i like this scene because it feels like some nice needed calm of like moxon being like kind of like reflective you get the goofy kind of sequence with him of the the convenience store clerk is like your money is no good here so he's starting to like your money's no good here <laughs> Like we talked about this with accents during this podcast. <laughs> I know he just he starts talking like Billy Bob Thornton and Sling Blade. I don't understand. He, the the guy's not saying it that way the entire scene, and then all of a sudden just says that to him. Because when you put on the Billy Bob Thornton Sling Blade voice, everything you say has so much more importance, and he needs him to know <laughs> yeah. your money's no good here, and that's the most important. The best part thing is he away. doesn't just give it to him free. He just literally switches out the soda for the beer, and then doesn't make him pay. For do you think Mox was like, I kind of did want that <laughs> soda, though? I mean, this is like a really nice gesture, but also, like, can I nab them Cokes while we're at it? Yeah, you have to wonder. Which, you know, so we get this, like, this is where, like, you get this transition of now, like, we're in, like, the Moxon era, which brings us to, you know, the follow-up from the stealing of the cop car uh, gives me our how could you for this section of, like, how did you get, how could you get John Voight for this movie? <laughs> Like, what are the circumstances? Because, like, you brought up, he has this, like, incredible, like, authoritarian presence. And you have this, like, real sense of fear because, like, in the bar the next morning, like, after this, you have the cop kind of talking to one of the other locals about this is kind of getting out of control. Like, what they did is, like, way beyond everything. He's like, he's like, we got wangers on the glass. Like, what was it? The lady? I can't remember. It was, like, the ladies club or something. And there's, like, that reaction. And then, like, you've got this, you got that weird, like, the guy's putting salt in his beer. I don't know. There's like so many weird little things like happening, like in this, like this town watering hole and you have them talking about it. And then there's like such this fear of like, once they realize Bud Kilmer's there and he's like, are my boys giving you trouble? And there's this like, Oh no, 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 everything's great. And it's like, they're cops. They're totally justified in feeling like, Hey, you probably shouldn't steal my cop car, pick up a bunch of underage girls, drive them around naked and then put wangers on a glass. Like there's, really a sense that like they have every reason to be angry but like i think john voight's presence kind and how john voight plays this character is like really justifiable why they don't want to make him upset is this john voight's most memorable role weirdly enough no anaconda (laughs) (laughs) you know let's just move on because i just love that you gave that answer um, when, you know, so this takes us into like you know Mox's first full game, where we get to see like the the wealth of him as a quarterback. Do you think he was suited for the position, or do you think it's overblown? 
the 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 actual Jonathan Moxon or James Vanderbeek? No, because well, my understanding is James Vanderbeek was not very good at throwing the football. That they had to bring in the uh, University of Texas uh, football uh, quarterback at the time. Yeah, they did because they tried to teach him how to throw and he couldn't. <laughs> yes. Which there's no throwing football on the creek, so <laughs> I don't blame him for not knowing. You know, he had to be like a film nerd in the one thing. He couldn't have learned those soft skills that quickly. My understanding is um, speaking of the creek one of the finalists for this role was joshua jackson oh really Mm -hmm. totally different movie the only two i know that there were six people up for it the only two that i could confirm was jonathan jack uh yeah joshua jackson and chris klein who was really close to getting the role i could have seen chris i feel like chris klein wouldn't he be more like a lance harbor type than a a jonathan moxon type wouldn't you think well that actually seemed to be what the problem was they his his presence they said just they needed somebody a little less you know i guess kind of klein must be a really big guy he is yeah, yeah. and i said that like i know him yeah, I know. <laughs> I was like, all right here on earth was a very important movie to me as it was many many of any many of like my ilk of that uh, time but as far as uh jonathan moxing yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, what do you think? Of he was an innovator of the sport. I mean, because the hook and ladder. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the hook and ladder. I mean, he was running, you know, a, a five, you know, wide receiver set that they're running. They were running in the Big Twelve years later. I think they started to steal from Jonathan Moxon. Like, you know, he, he wasn't. Yeah. Do you think the Big Twelve watched Varsity Blues and took notes and said, "This is how we become a dominant presence"? It is a passing, you know, sport now, and Jonathan. Moxon knew that. I feel like people are going to respond to this. I think they're going to agree <laughs> with me. So uh, I mean, the guy could throw the football like nobody's business. Although I do question his clock management because on multiple occasions, instead of clocking the ball, he decides to take the time to throw it out of bounds and hit somebody just unnecessarily. He hits the Hornet and he hits the guy on the horse. Which... Honestly, like, he's kind of a tool to mascots, first of all. Agreed. Second of all, don't you find him very chatty in his huddles? I feel like he's very chatty. And that's coming from me. (laughs) (laughs) You sure you want to go with that? (laughs) I'll ask a follow-up question. Uh, What do you think of Moxon's interview skills? Oh, uh, terrible. Yes. But he's only one man. (laughs) He just wants to thank God. He's only one man. I wish that... Golly gee. (laughs) When Jules makes fun of him, though, it's, like, so not even. Like, there's, like, no lightheartedness to it. It's, like, so incredibly critical. And I'm like, you've grown up with your brother doing the same thing. And I'm like, are you upset that it's not your brother anymore? Which, that would make sense to me. Or are you just mad that Moxon's, like gotten yeah. some attention. It's very weird I, from her. I think it makes all sense, right? I mean, you have he's not done it before and, you know, what person doesn't, I mean, if you go back and, I, even on these shows now, you get hyped up and, so I understand his interview skills, like, you know, I appreciate those. Um, I also think, you know, when you get pushed into the spotlight like that, it's going to be different. I think Jules is completely unfair to him because, yeah, he should, he's earned the right now to enjoy this moment. 
Yeah, and that's fair. And th- this brings us to our next section because now, like, because he has to deal with now the reality of being the qu- you know the quarterback. We get the hook and ladder practice, Ryan. Any notable lines from the hook and ladder practice? Stick to the basics. <laughs> Stick to the basics. And 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 I know what you're gonna say. Like, is this your is the how could you like how could you be so you know horrifyingly awful and non-supportive to your players? Um, how could you continue to torment and torture Billy Bob? That would be a good how could you. But I think the only how could you that could exist of how could you actually think we were going to believe that she could have put that whipped cream bikini on that fast? Because, all right, listen to the Listen to the canister. Does that seem like the amount of whipped cream it takes to make a bikini? Come on, movies. I'll suspend disbelief. I'll, I'll believe that four New Yorkers are fighting like a mythic demon from the past. Like, I will believe a lot, but I refuse to believe that I'm actually supposed to think that that thing got on that fast and that the cherries stayed. Come on. I appreciate the Ghostbuster reference. You're welcome. Um... I also do not ruin this for everybody that, you know, watched this film in the 90s. It's shaving cream, people. It's shaving cream. <laughs> this movie sits on a throne of lies. Don't spoil movie magic. <laughs> but also, who wrote this scene? Because there had to be people sitting in a writer room and they're like, okay, all right, so here's what we're going to handle. So we're going to have like Mox's first practice. Okay, well, like we kind of want to continue <laughs> with this Darcy thing. Darcy's going to seem really eager. Okay, all right, so she seems trapped. Yeah, but she's going to be like really eager with Mox. Mox is at some point just going to go with it, but doesn't he love Jules? Yeah, but I'm Darcy, right? Okay, well, what what can Darcy do so he really knows it's on? Well, what if they just, like, sit down on the couch and they start kissing? No, 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 too simple. Oh, okay, well, what if, like, Darcy is, like, playful with him? No, 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 can't be. Oh, what if Darcy dons some sort of dessert-related <laughs> lingerie to really let him know she's interested, as though that had been a mystery previously? Okay, couple of things here yes, I want uh, to dissect the scene. Okay, number one. <laughs> What do most people remember from this film, if nothing else? Okay, but it's a lie. Like, listen to how long the air canisters are going. (laughs) That would not create that level of a whipped cream bikini. You need at least two. In Darcy's defense here, okay, we learn that she, this is not the first time she's done this. Which, okay, again, follow-up questions. you know, like, you know, her boyfriend Lance Harbour, she's practiced, she's knows, you know, how to do this, you know, so, you know, it's a skill. She's set. not a novice player out there putting on the whipped cream bikini. I also just like there when she like hugs Moxon, I'm like, then he's just gonna have like whipped cream. He somehow doesn't that. have that's the most that like, we have to suspend disbelief on that part. Right. But that's not the part I'm going to suspend disbelief <laughs> on. And listen, you are right. This is probably the thing the movie is most known for because it's. You know, so eye catching. It's so weird, though. And I shout honestly, out to Allie Larder. Lehigh Valley native. Aw, that's nice. (laughs) I'm not glad that that came right after this scene, but that's nice. But I also, like, it's this weird thing of, like, because it's this moment that is, like, hyper, like, remembered and memed about and discussed and, like, kind of this, you know, very easy kind of, like, clip to pull from the film. But it's also this, like, weirdly vulnerable moment, too, because, like, you get this sense of, like... She really is feeling as though, as you talked about earlier, like there's something like inescapable about this town and this is like kind of her only way out. But it's also just like this strange, like, what are we to do with this? And then the way in which she apologizes for this later on is that she like makes out with him in the hallway. Like, we're just friends, right? But let me like get up in there. It's like a weird, I don't know how to deal with it. Okay, so I'm going... (laughs) 
you're not going to love this. Go for but it. But does she not kind of have it's a wonderful life vibe of does she not play kind of the Oh, Violet. Violet character oh, of this film. Um, I'm going to need you to never compare <laughs> Varsity Blues and It's a Wonderful Life together, like, ever again. You for don't this see Jonathan Moxon being the 1990 version of George Bailey? For the safety of this podcast and our marriage, I'm going to need you to never compare the two again. I'm a little worried which was going to go first <laughs> if I continue down this. Look, I am letting you have your 90s nostalgia. Rah, rah, class of 99. But don't you be bringing George Bailey. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I see very, you know, relatable aspects of Darcy and Violet. Uh, you never yell when Violet kisses George Bailey. Because it's a friendly kiss. Like, Darcy gets in there. She does get in there. She does get in there. Right in front of Jules, in right the middle of the hallway. In the middle of, like, and what? Also, that teacher is way rude, just slams that door. <laughs> She's not having it. I have, like, never slammed my door at the beginning of class. I'm like, I don't know, wandering when you want. Like, but this, you know, and to kind of, like, close out the scene, this brings us to yet another... Man, let's just say this section of the film has a lot to discuss, a lot that is awkward and a lot that is strange. You know, we get from before we get the Darcy moment where she's apologizing, kind of hoping things won't be weird between her and Mox. And I'm also always very curious, does like Lance know they're broken up or does like Lance still think they're together? So many questions about that within itself. But like you get this scene with uh, Wendell um, where he is talking very openly to Mox. And this is like another moment where the movie, like I think tries to dip its toe in in discussing something about this. We get, you know, where essentially Wendell Brown, like, points out the fact that, like, Kilmer doesn't throw to him because he's a person of color. And, like, you have, you know, Wendell discussing this out and, like, what he has to do to be able to be, like, seen by a coach. And then, like, this kind of reaction of, like, I think the line is, like, damn, Box, I thought you knew. Like, almost like, I thought you were smarter than that. And... I think this it's this really it's kind of like a vulnerable moment for Moxon because you realize like unfortunately he's probably never considered that like as learned as he is he's never thought about like wait a second why isn't Wendell thrown to more why isn't he the one taking it into the end zone so it's like this weird yeah I mean it's crazy because what is it he had 133 yards a game but only yes. three touchdowns yeah. for the entire you know yeah so it was a very it was weird to me though like Bud Kilmer's idea was to you know ground and pound all the way down to the five into the red zone and then and then pass it to tweet. yeah like it's but i also like and i think it like it adds like another layer to like kilmer's villainy and i think it yeah. also adds another layer of like what's kind of complicated about small town texas is that there are all these things that are existing you know so you have like the way in which the town just ignores a lot for sake of them being successful and i think in the way in which you see mox gets trapped into that too because like he's very clearly been ignoring this or not really trying to reckon with it so it's this weird thing that the movie does it like drops this in there and then it does come back up later on but it's like this weird but it's unfortunately nestled in a sequence where Again, one of the more defining characteristics of it is something that we have to discuss. Um, And it's really funny. I wrote this, How Could You?, as we were watching the movie. And then I was discussing with a friend today that we were recording an episode on Varsity Blues, and they literally asked me this question, and I said to them, just listen to the episode. So my How Could You for this section is, how could you? 
Why nobody have known that Mrs. Davis was a stripper? Are you telling me one of the dads didn't go to the landing strip and know this? Hold on, let me ask. So you're telling me that somebody should have realized Miss Davis, who was in the landing strip, which was obviously a local uh, strip establishment, of the stripper who comes out as a teacher, who has sex ed written on the blackboard and holding a West Canaan High School yearbook. <laughs> This is what I'm saying! <laughs> Sorry, Mike. Um, like, because I really just yelled into my microphone. But this is the thing that infuriates me about the scene. I'm like, first off, like, I don't know, fantasize differently. Like, why are we using our day job as part of our night job? I, I, I have concerns about those barriers. The fact that she's the sex ed teacher is, like, all too cheeky for me. But then it's just the ridiculousness of, like, I do not buy for a second that at some point one of those dads or moms has not gone into that establishment and knows that's what Mrs. Davis says. Because, like, Mock's remarks, like, that's a nice car and a teacher salary, which, ouch, but very real. Um, and then, like, the f I just can't buy in the small town that, no, that this has never at some point filtered down. Because I don't think you're supposed to think this is far off from where they live. <laughs> I, I agree completely with you. Also, the Landon Strip, real place. So if you ever want to do a filming location again, we have another spot in Texas we can go to. What if we just go to Top Notch Burger? I would much prefer yeah. that. <laughs> so Top Notch Burger is in this, and it's also in Dazed and Confused. I would much like rather go to that than the Landon Strip <laughs> for a variety of reasons. Oh, we also forgot about the fact that Miss um, Davis is, is, is dancing to Hot for Teacher. So, I mean, it's just... <laughs> There are layers of discomfort at which I don't want to talk about this scene much further than we already are. We, we have to talk about a couple of other aspects of this. It's a tan. <laughs> tan. <laughs> right. I like that the owner is just like, the boys drink all night. The teenage boys that have come here. Billy Bob takes his shirt off and is like moving towards the stage and he like hands him a drink like, it's okay, man. Just go like. But the part that bothers me the most. Lance Harbour showing up in his nicest sweater. <laughs> well, what else does one wear to a strip club, Ryan, that you're being so critical of what him wearing a sweater? Just, he looks the dorkiest outfit on to go out with his friends drinking. False. <laughs> False. Moxon has the dorkiest outfit. He has a long sleeve black polo, a black belt, a, a black, I think, corduroys. <laughs> I think Lance looks better. I don't know about that. And then we just get to, I love when <laughs> Moxon's given the toast. <laughs> just the entire, the entire scene is so absolutely ridiculous. Uh -huh. And it's, it's, you, yep, I, I, it defies words, honestly. But yeah, I, my, my major how could you is, is like that no one else would have known that this is occurring. But I do agree with you. We should go to Top Notch. Yeah, we should I mean, go to Top Yeah, let's hit up a Varsity Blues and a, and a Daisy Confused. We also do get in this section, uh, Tweeter having... You know, one of his many hold-up lines talking about, like, drugs and girls. And it makes Tweeter very complicated within this sequence. It does. At least the film itself addresses it with, you know, the line from Moxing to, to Tweeter. How about, are you going to like jail? Yeah. Yeah. So. But, you know, and that's, you know, the, it, it's this weird, like, kind of, the, it's like this, again, it's this, all of these, like, hyper-real moments, but they're kind of, like, anchored in something, too. And then you get this, like, strip club sequence, but they all, like, kind of bond together. So I guess it's kind of nice. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But that brings us into our next section. The hangover game? Yeah, the ha hangover game, where they're all hurting so badly, and I don't know what they were thinking. I have to think that's the folly of thinking, 
oh, we'll recover. I just, if this team was this good, are you telling me that these four players are are going to be the downfall? I understand the importance of, you know, your running back and your wide receiver yes. and, and your quarterback. Yes. But the defense couldn't step up. You're telling me, you know, these guys couldn't put it together for one game. I'm just... <laughs> No, I agree with you. There is something kind of to that that feels like a little bit ridiculous, but it's like kind of perfect, too, because it's all like the punishment that comes from it. I do love, though, from a film standpoint, though, this is our great montage of Thunderstruck. Yeah, it really is, because yeah. it's not it's not like in a pump up way. It's a, like they're <laughs> I like, always kind of forget that. Yeah, they're getting their butts <laughs> handed to them. Yeah. And it's like kind of crazy. But I think it's also then my hero gets to be such the when they're at their like height of glory moments is that's their song where Thunderstruck they're getting like a hurt and laid on them. But my how could you is not related to the game in this section or Kilmer threatening um, Mox that he's going to make sure his scholarship goes away for Brown University. My how could you for this section with the bullet is like, um, how, how could you Billy Bob's parents? The kid leaves with a shotgun and all of his like trophies and no one's thinking like. Maybe we should check on him. It's a little weird that he has a, a pig that he calls dog. He seems kind of concussed. He's sweating a lot and like in an unhealthy way. And he's left the house with a shotgun and a bunch of his childhood trophies. And a bottle of, I believe, whiskey. Whiskey? Yeah. yeah because here's the <laughs> and thing. And he's just chugging. <laughs> no teenage kid knows where to access their childhood trophies that are in a box in the basement. You don't know where that is when you're that well, age. I get the feeling that you're supposed to think, I mean, you know, th with a town like this, probably those trophies are still displayed. All right, that's fair. But you're not like, hey, Billy Bob, what are you doing? Nothing. Dustin. Billy Bob in this scene is all over the place. Like, I'm not uh, trying to question. I understand it's supposed to be this very serious, but I'm kind of like, you know, at one point he's telling Moxon that it's important to him. At one point he's telling him he hates it. Like, it's he's a little all over. concussion, dude. Like, I think it's the concussion. Like... I think that's what you're supposed to think, or the writing is just phenomenally uneven, which I think is actually probably what's <laughs> happening in this sequence. But it's like this weird moment because, like, you know, there's been a lot of heaviness with Billy Bob throughout, and then you get this sense of, like, like I think Billy Bob was going to kill himself. And like, yeah, like, I, mean, I mean, there's really no other way to read it, no, right? I, um, and Billy Bob, I mean, in, in the scene he talks about, like, Kilmer treating him like a son. Like, that's how he looks at Kilmer. But then Kilmer gaslighting him, essentially, is, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like a really, like, tough scene to deal with. Like, you know, because you have the kind of ridiculous, like, Moxon's, like, you know, main tragedy is that his dad is upset that he's going to Brown University, which just, again, worst parent ever. It, all right, second to Billy Bob's parents. You get the you know, iconic, I don't want your life line. Yes. But I'm really, like, left with, and I think this is why my how could you for the sequence is just, like, this whole storyline with Billy Bob really comes to, like, its head, like, at this particular the moment. the emotional center. I mean, the nice thing, though, is Billy Bob is miraculously cured by the end of the weekend. So. Yep. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> it brings us into our, our final segment of yeah. the film, which is, you know, the Gilroy game. <laughs> the big game against Gilroy. I have to give a shout out before we talk about Gilroy. Uh, the announcers in this movie. Yes. Real life high school football uh, announcers. And I, I have to talk about this because anybody, again, that loved football in the 90s probably remembers this. And if you, people may have known this, I did not realize they did a really 
memorable announcement of a game at um, Dallas Cowboys Stadium was a high school teams of Plano East and John Tyler in 1994. And this was a game in which the team was down 41 to 17 with only two and a half minutes to go in the game. And this high school team comes storming back and scores 27 points to take the lead with like only like a second or two to go in the game. Their announcing is so memorable. And then what happens on the next thing on the kickoff after they've come all the way back, they kick it off and the other team returns the kick for a touchdown for a walk-off win to win the state championship. And what happened was their announcing became so famous. They were on Leno about this because the, they, so check it out on YouTube. If you get a chance, it's, it's, Plano East and John Tyler, I'm sure a lot of people out there remember it. But when I found out that these were the same announcers, I, my mind was blown. I was like, oh, my God. Can we get that movie? Yeah. Right. Like, I want to see that. Well, I think we got that with um, Friday Night Lights is, is is very similar to that. No, no. What the story you just described was uplifting. Friday Night Lights I don't think you realize they depressing. lost the game. They okay, kicked right. it off and then lost the game. Okay, fair. All right, listen. All right, so maybe Friday Night Lights, which is incredible, but super depressing. But Denny Garver and Eddie Clinton, they're the ones that do the... I don't think that's their names in the film, but yeah. yeah. All right, I cannot tell you my how could you yet for this section. Okay. Because it has to do with one of our last segments. So just the how could you is coming for this last <laughs> section. But I will make it apparently clear. How do you feel about the final game in this buildup? Because they spend a lot of runtime like in this last game. Well, which they should should um it's it's really important um you know the whole film has been building to this one game and because when we when we meet these characters there was only four games left to go um i love it i love both sides of it there's a ridiculousness obviously to it it's so over the top at points but um you have kilmer being so villainous that he's actually almost hurting himself to the point where, like, he won't let Moxon run, you know, the two-minute offense at the end of the yep. game. Um, the fact that he he makes Moxon want to run the ball, so he just doesn't give Moxon. Like, it's Kilmer almost starts to turn on himself a little bit because I think you're supposed to take it as nobody's ever kind of challenged him in the way that, that Moxon does, and he doesn't really know what to do with that. Do you think this makes sense for the breaking point at which they all kind of go, we're done with Kilmer? Yeah, um, cause what we get the, we get the injury to Wendell in the yeah. first half, which is, you know, the breaking point for everybody. Um, I, I do, you know, shout out again. You asked me about Moxon. I mean, Moxon, man, he knew how to audible, like nobody's business. I mean, he's calling his own plays out there. Um, you know, a little too many trick plays, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I, it's, it's you get that nice moment that Wendell finally gets into the end zone. Yep. But, you know, unfortunately, I don't love that the film then chooses to hurt Wendell in like essentially the next scene. You know, I think we could have done that with a different player. Maybe Tweeter would have made more sense or Honestly, Billy Bob makes the most Billy sense. Billy Bob would have made. Actually, you're right. Billy Bob would have made way more sense. Because for that. I was thinking about this. like, But then who would have done the hook and ladder play? Yeah, someone's going to have to explain to me the <laughs> physics of that. So. But that leads us into, um, so we got the start of that as My Hero, which yeah. we talked about at the beginning of the show, and then... Which um, is that, so you said the whipped cream bikini. I think in some ways My Hero is the most distinguishing factor of this film. Could be. It does not play as much as you think, though. That's the weird thing. But I do think twice. it's one of the biggest things that comes out of it. I mean, it was a, this was a pretty big 
soundtrack at the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then we have the the melee that is the halftime, right? <laughs> Which how long is a Texas halftime? I'm just curious because a lot happens. So what we have we have uh, Wendell. They're gonna give him the shot, and and Moxon, you know, essentially is ready to throw away Brown University and everything yep. he's earned uh, to save Wendell, and and quits on you know <laughs> the moment. Um, I love the fact that we don't talk about how villainous all of the other coaches are. Oh, um, they're all terrible. Yeah. Not a good adult in that room. No. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I bought when, uh, what, who is it? Uh, Lance comes in and tells him not to do it. Yep. And Kilmer turns on Lance, calls him what the, he says, you're going to listen to a gimp. Yeah. Who just wants him to be the missing link of yep. why we don't. Um, and then tweeter says that he, and I just like, yeah, the team. And then we have Kilmer finally, he snaps. Choke. That's great. <laughs> he chokes out Mox. It's great. I'm not like saying that in a like I didn't want to see a child get choked. Do we really? I, I'm. I really believe every time I watch that, I think John Voight may have actually strangled Jonathan Hart. <laughs> Van, James Vanderbeek. There's not a doubt in my mind. John Voight's an intense man. He is. You ever see him on a red carpet during an interview? <laughs> There's something really aloof and serial killer about the dude in real life. <laughs> for legal purposes, we do not believe that he is actually a serial killer, just for the record. Y- yes, please don't sue us, John Voight. Although, if you're listening, like, thanks, man, and thanks for Like Anaconda. and subscribe, yeah. John Voight. <laughs> But I, you know, the, the ending of this film feels like so epic and perfect. Who doesn't love a sports movie that ends in heroism? Like, but we have the, we have Jonathan's speech, yeah. one of the great sports. It is you a know, really good sports speech. You know, where Kilmer says it's forty eight minutes for the next forty years of life. But I love Jonathan Moxon given the, uh, you know, let's play the next twenty four minutes for the next twenty four minutes of your, yeah. our lives. Let's go out there and be heroes. Yeah, because it's like this great. Like I think he puts everything back into perspective for a movie that has been told from such a distorted lens of like them being so larger than life. He kind of zeroes it back into something that feels reality. Like he's cleaned off the lens. The gloss isn't there. It's just about like let's just go out and play football because that's what we've been doing and that's what we loved about each other. Because um, you get a sense of like kind of the reminder of that this is really about friendship and that our lives are going to exceed beyond this point. Like this is not any of us peaking. So let's just kind of enjoy this. Um, Kilmer kind of pitiful walking away too. right? I love that you can, when the scene pulls out, when they're celebrating, you can see Kilmer taking his box to his car in the oh, distance. Oh, I don't remember that. You okay. see him like coming out like the um, underneath the stands gotcha. and you can see him walking to his car in the distance when they're all celebrating oh, wow. at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I think we need to finish this movie or this film and talking about it, the hook and ladder play, right? <laughs> because we, <laughs> we, I wish the the film ends with a little less ridiculousness of a play from, I don't know which is worse, the fact that they call the play or the fact that you have Lance and Wendell given the most hook and ladder obvious call from the side. <laughs> Yeah, the hand gestures are the <laughs> most like, ridiculous thing ever. I, if I was Gilroy, I'd be like, hey, guys. <laughs> I think they're about to do a hook and like, no, that would be too obvious. So, and I don't understand why you run this play. Yeah. I mean, you've been burning them at the all in the second half. There's no need to, to run this play and give Billy Bob, you know, a, a lateral 10 yards out to get into the end zone. <laughs> yeah. But he gets in there. He celebrates, and we get Tweeter drinking beer, because Tweeter drinks beer. 
Land's fine in his calling in life. Yes. You know, Wendell will recover and go and play for Grambling. Mm-hmm. Um, Jules and Mox. I, I say they didn't even make the rest of the year. No. Like, yeah. I mean, I think she just gets in the moment and they, they make up for a little while. Yeah, they Maybe they prom. make it to prom. No, I don't think they make you it to know, prom. You know? Nah, she doesn't go to prom with them. Nah. <laughs> but, yeah. And we have, what, the offspring playing at the bat, you know, yes. and so. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and this is like, you know, we've been talking about this movie and, like, in so many ways, it's like such a moment in time. And I think, like, to go with that, like, the MTV of this has to be discussed because this is something that so existed for the MTV generation in the late 90s. What MTV meant at that particular moment in time, if you've been watching, like, you know, the Woodstock 99 documentaries, like the power of like MTV, MTV Spring Break, Um, MTV Movie Awards were a huge thing in the late 90s and early 2000s. So we can't talk about this in an Oscars conversation because like literally over my dead body. (laughs) But let's talk about this in terms of like MTV Movie Awards. How how did it fare amongst the films of that time? Okay, I do want to explain that the MTV Movie Awards and not unlike the Oscars, they do not do it for whatever reason in a year. They only do it from the last show to their last show. So (laughs) they make no a, a lot of sense so you have some films from 98 and some films from 99 but they were up for uh two count them two mtv movie awards uh they had one nomination for uh best song in a movie uh for not my hero what but actually for green days nice guys finish last i'm not sure what their criteria was but um they lose out unfortunately to aerosmith's I don't want to miss a thing. Okay. But I think if you put Foo Fighters up against I don't want to miss a thing, I think it's got a potentially got likes. I could have. I could. I actually am going Goo Goo Dolls Iris that year myself. Oh, shut up. Yes, at 100%. <laughs> not necessarily for the film, but for the song. Yeah. No, not for the film. But how, like, but it's used brilliantly in that trailer. But they did. They did bring home one award that night, okay? They brought home one Moon Man, okay? Let's be excited for that. They actually brought home for Breakthrough Mail. Award for James Vander Vanderbeek and Varsity Blues. Wait, really? Oh yeah. Huh. He uh, he won that over Ray Allen and he got game. Okay. Joseph Fiennes and Shakespeare in Love. What? Josh Hartnett and Halloween H two O. And Chris Rock and Lethal Weapon Four. I'm confuzzled for a lot of reasons because the Golden Popcorn feels like. It, which you incorrectly called the Moon Man. I did. Um, <laughs> the Golden Popcorn. I feel like those actors had other roles that those wouldn't have been their breakout roles. I don't want to dive too deeply into that. I mean, I don't. I. I yeah. I guess so. I mean, um, I tr- clocked a lot of Josh Hartnett in the nineties. <laughs> Trust me, I don't think that's before H two O. Yeah. No, okay. Am I I'm remembering just a little disappointed right now, that uh, John Voight wasn't up for best villain? Who was up for best villain? Uh, Matt Dillon won it for something about there's something about Mary. I'm a little disappointed <laughs> Rose McGowan didn't win it for Jawbreaker. She was nominated. She is <laughs> so vicious in that movie. Jaw- Jawbreaker was it, to me a very traumatizing movie of the '90s, <laughs> but so great and so dark. Uh, best fight did not go to John Voight. <laughs> James Vanderbeek that went to Ben Stiller and Puffy the Dog. And there's something about Mary. A lot of love. For a lot of movie. love for yeah. that. Well, because they know it's not happening anywhere else. But I also think that this movie's fun because it's positioned in this like really weird moment in time of the era of MTV movies. So MTV Films was 
like a, a thriving production company in the late 90s and early 2000s. It actually, it extends beyond the early 2000s, but this is probably like the reign of it. So what really kicks this off um, in terms of success is Beavis and Butthead do America, <laughs> which is obvious why that's an MTV film. Yeah. But then you have Dead Man on Campus. <laughs> <laughs> varsity Mark Paul Gosselaar at his best. <laughs> varsity Blues, which is then followed by 200 Cigarettes, Election, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, The Wood, Save the Last Dance, Pootie Tang, Zoolander, Orange County, Jackass the Movie, Better Luck Tomorrow, The Perfect Score, uh, Napoleon Dynamite, um, the remake of The Longest Yard, Hustle and Flow, Freedom Riders... There's actually some really good movies in there. This is what I'm saying. But it was really funny as I, 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 so the, when we were watching the film, like, you know, the moon man kind of came across the screen. I was like, oh, that's right. This is an MTV movie. And then all of a sudden it was this like nostalgia warp for me of going, that's right. MTV was putting out a lot of movies itself and it had the most perfect vehicle because again, like uh, calling back to earlier, People were watching TRL on a daily basis because you were rewarded. Were you always like, hey, I want NSYNC drive me crazy because Justin Timberlake drives me crazy. You know, as a Backstreet Boys fan, <laughs> and it hurts that you don't remember that. But, like, you know, you watched because, like, it was it was the thing. There was, like, there was cultural cachet to talking about TRL. If you were in the boy band era of loving boy bands, like, you wanted to call in because that fandom was, like, so rabid at that particular moment in time. And I think it's, like, these trailers were running constantly. And look, some of these films are better than others, but there's some decent things that they were putting out at this particular moment. And it kind of starts to die off like after the first decade of, you know, the 21st century. Um, they still were putting things out, but the, the, it's diminishing returns like yeah. after that kind of golden age. But there was like a lot that they My did. My Dossie's take is uh, check out Better Luck Tomorrow if you haven't. Without a doubt. I haven't seen it in a few years, so I can't 100% sure that how everything is held up in it. But uh, I remember that being a really excellent underrated film. Yeah. Oh, I did forget one. Crossroads. And I only am going to highlight that because I know there are people <laughs> who are listening who like ride or die for Britney yeah. on the daily. <laughs> I didn't forget Crossroads. <laughs> I remember so much when this film was getting released, they were putting out great teasers of just like Moxon, like doing push-ups yep. and getting ready yeah. and stuff like that. So um, I, I do, you know, I it's understandable, like you said, that MTV was able to, you know, pull this off and, and like they had a good vehicle to to promote their films. Well, and also because think about it, they're putting out the type of content that like really speaks to that time in your life, you know, your middle school to like early 20s where like really that it sounds weird to say that's a similar demographic of the types of films that are going to hit like you know things that are looking at like that high school time and like you know MTV was doing this um, and Varsity Blues is a, like kind of a stellar example of like what they were able to do and how many people they were able to reach with a film like this and then why it becomes so nostalgic because it was wrapped up not just in film culture but the totality of pop culture that you were probably consuming at that time in your life you always like doing a prequel remake recast sequel Equal. Do you see any vision for this story having a life beyond uh, 99? I want to say something, and I'm going to say something extremely serious first, um, and then we'll go into a little more of the humorous, because I would I would have loved to talk about like a, a sequel to this movie, like a later sequel, something we've, we've even discussed on this before. This film had a little bit of a curse, um, you know, where yeah. Ron Lester, who played uh, Billy Bob, passed away really early age. Uh, from kidney failure. We all sadly know the story of Paul Walker. 
Um, and then, you know, Joe Pickler, who played the young brother, you know, at 23 years old, he had been working in Hollywood for 10 years. He came back home and then um, one night he played magic and then just never came home and no one's ever seen him since. And there's a lot of question on what happened. And, you know, there's there's evidence to point to different directions. But like so from that standpoint, no, I don't think a sequel should be made, like a later sequel, because I could visually see it. That being said... You'd have to deal with so much half. Yeah, there's yeah. too much half there. So, no, let it be in and of its moment. But I love a good high school football movie, and yeah. I'm a sucker for it. So, you know, it doesn't even need to be a remake. Let's just get another good one out there. I agree. But I want to hear yours. I have a feeling you have <laughs> some thoughts. Okay, so here's the thing. When we were talking about this, the thing I wrote in my notes is I would like to see an alternate ending to the film. <laughs> I love it. And in the age of CGI, I think we can accomplish this. It's also my how could you for the last section of the film. How could one of you not have killed Bud Kilmer in that locker room? And here's what I'd love to see. <laughs> Billy Bob. Billy Bob. Billy Bob murders Bud Kilmer. And in everyone's protectiveness and understandable of that, like, burning rage inside Billy Bob that we see expressed earlier when he's, like, shooting his high school trophies. And, by the way, shoots a picture of Bud Kilmer. No one seems concerned by But they murder him in the locker room. They go out and they win the game, but the postscript for the film is they have to spend 20 minutes hiding the body somewhere in Texas. Alternate ending. I believe that was part of Friday Night Lights season two. <laughs> we don't talk about season two of Friday Night Lights. Wow, that 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 took a dark turn. You know, you told me you were going to have an alternate ending to this film. I had many thoughts like the team doesn't go out and play or like, you know, the superintendent walks to the sideline and it's like, guys, you can't play without a coach. Like you need to have some type of personnel over here. Nope. You went with, you know... Evil dies tonight. <laughs> I want to see Bud Kilmer murdered in that scene. Because imagine it. Like, imagine the reactions. Like, imagine Tweeter being so hilarious, having to, like, chop up Bud Kilmer's body and, like, feed it to bacon. I imagine this, like... Wicked Witch of the West in Wizard of Oz when all of a sudden all of her like army like is all just like, happy once they realize she's gone like the town just is released of the the Kilmer curse. Yes, this is what I'm saying. Like all the right. statue disintegrates somehow. Like I I really want this alternate version. Someone give it to me. Hmm. All right. Was I fair to your movie? You were uh, extremely fair. Uh, I had a lot of fun talking about this one. Good, this, this is a, you know, ridiculous film. Yes. But I love it in every second of Good. it. It's ridiculously fun. <laughs> well, if you are not currently following us on social media, please follow us at How Could You Podcast on Instagram, at How Could You Pod on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook.com backslash How Could You Podcast. Um, you can find out about our latest upcoming episodes, the cocktail of the podcast for this episode, and also our screenings of Nostalgia Cinema happening at Civic Theater. You can also email us suggestions at How Could You Podcast at gmail.com. If you check the show notes for this episode, you will also link to our YouTube page. So if that's your preferred platform, um, we are now. Now there and many credit and thanks to the fabulous Ben Youngerman who has been really taking us to the next level with our social media getting us on YouTube which we are so excited about and until next time stick to the basics stick to the basics stick to the basics and enjoy the odyssey <laughs>